Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Abortion in Missouri. We give you a lay of the land in a very pro-life state where pro-abortion activists want to put abortion on the ballot next year. How the state's pro-life attorney general is fighting back and what resources already exist for Missouri moms and babies. Congressional update, the latest on the National Defense Authorization Act. This legislation, enacted annually to fund the military, includes amendments to protect life. Having advanced through the House of Representatives, will these pro-life amendments stand in the Senate's version of the bill? And final passage overall? Iowa Heartbeat Law. Governor Kim Reynolds signed a heartbeat law protecting babies in Iowa that was blocked by a state judge. We speak with Sarah Jansen of Iowa's Women's Choice Center about all of the resources this pro-life state has to offer. Abortion activists in Missouri want to put an amendment on the ballot in 2024 that would enshrine abortion in the state. So far, pro-life Republican Attorney General Andrew Bailey has refused to allow the amendment to appear on the ballot in 2024. Defiant abortion promoters have now escalated the case as high as the state's Supreme Court. Potential ballot amendments in Missouri must be reviewed for financial impact, and the Attorney General refuses to give this amendment the green light. He says the state auditor's assessment of its cost is far too low. It's notable that the state auditor, Scott Fitzpatrick, is also pro-life. He campaigned on keeping taxpayer monies away from Planned Parenthood and was endorsed by the Missouri Right to Life PAC. Lower courts in Missouri have ruled the attorney general does not have authority to challenge the financial report, despite his role as chief enforcer of Missouri law. In response, General Bailey appealed the case to the Missouri Supreme Court. A decision is expected by the end of the month. Here to explain more about what's going on in Missouri is Will Scharf. He's a candidate for Missouri Attorney General. Will, thanks for joining me. Before we get into the meat of this, can you briefly explain what pro-life Missourians will be up against if this pro-abortion amendment does make its way onto the ballot in 2024? Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. A longtime fan of yours and just great to great to be with you. Oh, thank you, Will. Um, your, your listeners, your viewers likely know that uh, in recent years, the, the pro-abortion lobby has been very aggressive about attempting to move uh, ballot referendum initiatives in different states around the country. Uh, sometimes that's been facilitated by state Supreme Courts, as was the case in, in Kansas several years ago. Uh, what we're seeing in Missouri now is a continuation of that trend. Uh, we're seeing pro-abortion groups that uh, can't pass bills in the legislature, don't have control of any uh, statewide offices really don't have much of a political constituency in the state, uh, attempting to achieve through confusingly worded ballot initiatives uh, what they can't achieve through the, the normal democratic process uh, of representative government. Um, if uh, there are a number of different measures that uh, the pro-abortion community is attempting to get on the ballot uh, in Missouri, uh, ranging from, uh, you know, elective abortion on demand at any stage to, to somewhat more limited uh, measures. But to say the least, if they're successful in getting a, a, a pro-abortion measure on the ballot uh, next year, uh, we're in for a very serious fight. And I think all of us who care about life issues in Missouri are, are eyes open about 
uh, the challenges that we as a movement face in the coming year. Right, right. And Will, this is a unique set of circumstances in Missouri. I'm hoping that you can break it down for us. And something important that I hope you can clear up for our viewers is what's going on between the AG and the state auditor right now, two leaders with seemingly pro-life records, but they seem to be at odds on approving this initiative. Right. So it's it's a funny dispute. It's a hyper-technical dispute. Uh, but fortunately, we pro-life Missourians seem to be the beneficiary of the dispute, at least for now. Sure. Uh, what's going on is the auditor is responsible for preparing what's called a fiscal note. Uh, that's uh, some, some materials that accompany a ballot initiative explaining how much the initiative would cost if it were passed or if it were to fail. Uh, the attorney general tried to submit information to be included in that fiscal note that the auditor didn't think uh, he could lawfully include. And now somehow they're litigating in front of the state Supreme Court over this kind of arcane aspect of the initiative petition process. Fortunately, though, for us, as long as they are litigating, uh, the, the pro-abortion lobby can't start collecting signatures uh, for this initiative petition. So as long as this is tied up in the courts, uh, we're effectively running the clock on the pro-abortion movement. Um, and uh, and that's uh, really to our benefit, those who care about life issues in the state. So uh, it's an interesting kind of quirky legal argument. I wouldn't say who I think has the, the better argument here. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think we are all hopeful that um, it, it will be difficult for, uh, for the pro-abortion uh, lobby to to gather enough sig signatures on time to get this thing on the ballot. Uh, and we're also, uh, you know, we're all getting ready to dig in to, to fight if they do manage to get it on the ballot. Right. And, and Will, you're running for attorney general in the state. So I'm curious how you would handle a situation like this. If this pro-abortion amendment were on the ballot and you were the attorney general, what would you do to stop this extremism from encroaching such a pro-life state? Yeah, I mean, it's we need to we need to fight like hell for life. I mean, we need to to be uh, trying to protect every baby. It's uh, it's an important issue to me personally. I was policy director to a previous governor of Missouri. Uh, we actually called a special session of the legislature uh, to pass pro-life, pro-mother measures in the summer of 2017, uh, because back then we we faced a similar issue to what we we may face in the future. Uh, which is the pro-choice community attempting to kind of steal a march on uh, on pro-lifers in the state. Uh, but we were successful then. Missouri was essentially uh, an abortion-free state even before Dobbs, which was an incredible accomplishment. And I think that as long as pro-lifers in Missouri get together and, and fight hard, uh, we're going to be able to keep uh, Missouri abortion-free. And I think that's really just a testament to the uh, the conservative pro-life values of the state and, and its voters. Right, absolutely. And it is important to note that Missouri was the first state to ban abortion literally hours after Roe was overturned. There are no operating abortion clinics in the state right now. Talk to me a little bit about the progress that's been made, uh, not, you know, not only since Dobbs came down, but even before that. Sure. So you go back to, to 2015, um, Missouri had, I think it was about 5,000 elective abortions a year. It was just a, a huge number for a state of a relatively limited population of mm -hmm. uh, a little over 6 million. Um, thanks to the measures we were able to pass in the summer of 2017, uh, it became much, much tougher for abortion clinics to operate in the kind of 
uh, cavalier fashion that they'd become accustomed to. Uh, what we passed were really very simple, common sense uh, health care protections for, for mothers and babies, requiring uh, clinics to think about things like medical complications, uh, requiring doctors to be more involved in the consenting process. And Planned Parenthood's response to that was basically to shut down half their clinics. Uh, at least one other was shut down after a random inspection found wildly unsafe conditions there. Uh, and finally, we've gotten to a place where, where Planned Parenthood, uh, which I think is just, it's a, a frankly evil organization, uh, Planned Parenthood has decided that it's it's not worth attempting to fight us and they've, they've pulled out of the state. So that's a victory, but it could be a temporary victory that if these pro-abortion uh, pro lobbyists and advocates are able to change our state constitution uh, to establish, you know, a, a new legal regime around abortion clinics, uh, everything that we've fought for for the better part of a decade uh, would be at risk. You know, I think it, you mentioned it. It was a powerful statement that uh, Post Dobbs, actually former attorney general, now Senator Eric Schmidt, uh, signed a, a basically a proclamation taking into effect our, our trigger law. Sure. But the fact that Missouri was the first state to move after Dobbs uh, really shows to me it's in, indicative of Missouri's broader leadership uh, on issues of life. And certainly as a, as a candidate, uh, if elected, I'd, I'd look to be a leader on life issues, as many others in Missouri have been for a long time. Mm, that's assuring to hear. It's good to know that Missourians are still on offense for life, and we're grateful that you could join us today. Thanks so much, Will Scharf, candidate for Missouri Attorney General. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Last year, Missouri became the very first state to enact pro-life laws after the overturn of Roe v.ersus Wade, just hours after the Supreme Court struck down the so-called right to abortion. Since that day, and even before the fall of Roe, Missouri has initiated robust programs to protect babies. There have even been efforts in the state legislature to penalize anyone who assists a Missouri resident seeking an abortion out of state. Situated right next to Illinois, an abortion hub, pro-life Missourians have their work cut out for them when it comes to stopping pro-abortion groups and lobbyists from encroaching upon their state, which has truly become a safe haven for unborn children. Joining us now is Jamie Morris, executive director of the Missouri Catholic Conference. Jamie, thanks for joining me. Talk to me about the Catholic footprint in Missouri. If a pro-abortion ballot amendment were to show up on the ballot next year in your state, would pro-lifers be equipped to defeat it? Uh, that, that's the hope. Um, obviously, the track record uh, thus far nationwide on these ballot initiatives has not been great. Right. So that is that is our main focus now, even early into the process, is trying to you know, gather coalitions, whether at the parish level, whether at, you know, just kind of through statewide pro-life groups, of making sure that, that individuals be equipped to go out and, and talk to their neighbors about this and let them know what these ballot initiatives you know, will ultimately do uh, in a state like Missouri. And, and, and so, you know, we hope that our network will be very engaged and, you know, we plan to, you know, do as we do with, with any type of legislative or ballot issue is, you know, make sure individuals are educated and, and, and know because it, it obviously this will come down to really a, a messaging um, 
you know, sort of fight. Right. Uh, and, and make sure that everyone has the correct information and, and knows, you know, again, what these ballot initiatives will truly do. Mm -hmm. And, Jamie, Missouri was the first state to ban abortion after the overturn of Roe last year. I believe it was literally hours after the decision mm -hmm. came down. So talk to me about the resources that your state has provided for pregnant moms and parents between now and then. It's clearly a pro-life state. Yes, and, and, and even before the Dobbs ruling and the overturning of Roe, um, you know, I, I had said that Missouri has sort of been operating in a post-Roe environment for a few years. Mm. And, and so I feel like we, we've kind of already been in, in this area even before Dobbs. Um, you know, we had only one active abortion clinic um, in the state, uh, in St. Louis, um, that was really hit for all intents and purposes, stopped performing abortions. But the challenges are the same. Um, we know now in the state that, you know, a lot of women are, are going across the border into Illinois, Kansas, and, and other places. Sure. And so our focus has been in a pro-life state like Missouri is to get resources to the women that need it. You know, we know that if a woman is abortion-minded, something has probably gone wrong in the process somewhere. There, there's a need there. And, and so we have um, and we've had this for a couple decades now almost, uh, the Alternative to Abortion Program uh, in the state of Missouri. That's been funded, uh, I believe, uh, over $8 million this year. Wow. Uh, for, for programs to help women make the decision to either keep the child or to you know, put a child up for an adoption. And this is a wide array of services that are provided. It's, you know, it's, inform it's information. Um, on services, but it's also, it gives adoption assistance, um, drug abuse, um, you know, assistance, um, domestic abuse protection, you know, whether it's in the needs are food, whether it's medical, whether it's financial, there's a wide array of programs that fall under this umbrella. And so, you know, we've done a very good job of addressing, you know, the, the supply of abortion. And so we continue to try to fight against the demand and, sure. you know, wh where are those needs? Um, we have, uh, you know, a tax credit program for donations to maternity homes. Um, and, and even legislatively, this last session, we expanded our um, Medicaid eligibility for postpartum women um, from 60 days after the birth of their child to now one year, because we know that that first year is so important. And, you know, those are the types of things that in a post-row world, uh, you know, the pro-life community in Missouri is really focused on is you know, again, we did a good job. We did a good job of, of getting abortion services out of the state, uh, but there's still work to be done to reach these women and, and make it that, you know, abortion's not just illegal in the state, but is also unthinkable. Well, Jamie Morris of the Missouri Catholic Conference, thanks for joining us. We're praying for your state and we're grateful for all the work that you do for unborn children. Thank you so much. Been a pleasure. God bless you. God bless you. Up next, some more pro-life headlines moving the nation this week. The FDA has approved the O-Pill, making birth control pills available over-the-counter without a prescription for the first time. O-Pill brings with it a laundry list of possible side effects and warnings, including irregular bleeding, the development of ovarian cysts that could become cancerous, increased chances of liver disease, and mood changes, including depressive thoughts teenagers seem to be most at risk who are less informed about their fertility and thus more likely to consistently take the pill. They are also at a heightened risk of depression. The National Catholic Bioethics Center calls this move a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. The pill will likely hit shelves in pharmacies and supermarkets next year. 
Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch is leading 18 other attorneys general across the country in a call for transparency from the Department of Health and Human Services when it comes to out-of-state abortion reporting. President Biden's HHS Secretary Javier Becerra has proposed a rule change that would conceal the medical records of women who travel out of their home state to end the life of their unborn child. The rule change would also apply to people who travel out of state to obtain sex change surgeries. The letter explains that this is the latest move in a continued partisan effort by the federal government to override state abortion laws, especially in states that are working hard to eliminate death by abortion. And a new movie that you've probably heard of called Sound of Freedom is topping charts across America. The independent film released by Angel Studios tells the true story of a man named Tim Ballard, who has rescued many children from the diabolical trade of sex trafficking. The movie stars Jim Caviezel, well known for his portrayal of Jesus in The Passion of the Christ. As of July 17th, the movie had grossed over $85 million in the United States alone. Sound of Freedom is set to be released internationally in August. Despite numerous mainstream media outlets discouraging viewers from supporting the movie, its popularity and pro-family message has spread like wildfire. People all over America are reporting sold-out theaters and even unexpected standing ovations. Coming up, Congress debates vital funding for the military. Will this year's National Defense Authorization Act include pro-life protections and keep taxpayer dollars from funding military abortions? Plus, Iowa's short-lived heartbeat law faces a court block. How one pro-life pregnancy center in the Hawkeye State is supporting moms and babies in the midst of state-level legal battles. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to the show. In Congress, lawmakers are in the midst of a partisan tussle to approve the National Defense Authorization Act, a must-pass bill that usually gets tagged with special interest legislation. Last week, the bill advanced through the House of Representatives and was sent over to the Senate containing pro-life amendments. Here's more. When you are advocating for a service member to have a child whipped from their womb, they can't deploy. To say that this is constitutional and it's an argument, to say that Republicans are somehow attacking women in service because we support this, is not only a lie, but it completely just destroys everything that this military stands for. That was Congresswoman Anna Paulina Luna, a pro-life veteran who now represents Florida's 13th district and is expecting her first child. She was speaking in favor of a pro-life amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, also known as the NDAA. Each year, the NDAA is advanced on generally bipartisan grounds. Its purpose, to authorize funding for the U.S. military. But this year, the legislation has been controversial, with pro-life Republicans working to include amendments to suspend the Biden administration's recent extreme moves on abortion and coverage for gender-changing surgeries. Congress must restore the right that was taken away and Roe v. Wade, and protect Roe v. Wade. The Vice President and I are doing everything to protect access to reproductive health care and safeguard patient safety. But already, more than a dozen states are enforcing extreme abortion bans. Make no mistake about it. If Congress passes a national ban, I will veto it.
One amendment to the legislation, as it advanced out of the House, stops government-funded travel expenses for military personnel who want to obtain abortions. Last year, the Pentagon announced that they would ensure that women in the military who wanted an abortion would be able to do so on the American taxpayer's dime, even if it meant sealing high costs to travel to a state where abortions are still available. Representative Ronnie Jackson, who introduced the pro-life amendment, says this is illegal. I urge all of my colleagues to vote in strong support of my amendment to repeal the Department of Defense's illegal and immoral abortion policy. This illegal Biden-endorsed policy has no place in our military. Taxpayer money provided to DOD is intended to provide for our national defense and our national security, not to promote and support the Biden administration's radical and immoral pro-abortion agenda. Jackson's amendment was co-sponsored by over 70 other members and was eventually included in the bill, but not without grumblings from pro-abortion Democrats. This amendment puts service women and military families' lives at risk by denying the basic right to travel for health care no longer available where they are stationed. I also rise saddened and frustrated that we find ourselves here in this legislative body deciding whether or not we trust our women in uniform and our military families to make health care decisions for themselves. Now that the NDAA has been approved in the House, it advances to the Senate. The current bill includes this pro-life amendment, as well as one to ban funding for mutilating transgender surgeries for people in the military. The House version of the bill would authorize $874.3 billion in national defense spending, a 5.2% military pay increase, and additional funding for Ukraine, despite some Republican efforts to eliminate that stream. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy celebrated the fact that, quote, radical policies that affect the readiness of the United States military have been eliminated. Before final passage of the bill, members of both the House and Senate will conference, and Republicans hope to build on the progress they've made this past week to ensure pro-family protections. Has the Congress changed? Yes, the Congress has changed. We're keeping the commitment we said we would do. We're focusing on the principles that make America stronger and freer and keep us safer so we will never be in war again. We'll continue to keep you updated as this legislation moves. The next couple of weeks are busy at the Capitol as members approach August recess, when they'll spend about a month away from D.C. in their home districts. And now to Iowa, where a state judge has blocked a heartbeat law just days after pro-life Governor Kim Reynolds signed it into law. Reynolds mentioned potential legal challenges to the pro-life law when she signed it last week. As we gather here today at this very moment, the abortion industry is in the court trying to prevent this law from taking effect and stop, once again, the will of the people. But the passage of this legislation, by even a wider margin this time, sends an unmistakable message. Abortion activists claim that protecting a child from abortion when you can hear their heartbeat is, quote, unconstitutional. For now, children are protected in Iowa at 20 weeks old while this court battle plays out. In the meantime, Iowans are already meeting the needs of moms and babies in their state. And joining us now is Sarah Jansen. She is program manager at a Women's Choice Center in Bettendorf, Iowa. Sarah, thanks for joining me. Start us off by telling us a little bit about your center, the story of how it came to be, and the resources that you all provide. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. So Women's Choice Center is located in Bettendorf, Iowa. We're right on the border of Iowa and Illinois. So we serve two different states, which mm. is a really unique space to be. So it's our 21st birthday this year. 
And so 21 years ago, when Planned Parenthood came to town, um, there was a group of believers that came together to create an alternative mm. to Planned Parenthood services. And so we created our center right across the cul-de-sac from Planned Parenthood back uh, 21 years ago. Uh, recently, about five years ago, when Planned Parenthood closed after lots of prayer um, and petition, we purchased that building and have now redeemed it for life. So wow. that's where we are now in Bettendorf, serving women um, in the Quad Cities in both Iowa and Illinois. What a redemptive story indeed. And Sarah, what do expectant mothers who come to you need the most? I always like to ask uh, resource centers this. Are they looking for tangible items like diapers, emotional support and guidance? And, and how do you kind of meet their utmost needs? So we see all of those needs coming through our center. We have three main programs um, at the Women's Choice Center. And so our medical side serves those patients who are pregnant or believe that they're pregnant. And we provide the typical medical services there, pregnancy tests, ultrasound, STD testing, all of that completely free to all of our patients. Um, but we also see a lot of women who are conflicted about their pregnancy, as you know, and they're not sure what option they're going to choose. And so we provide a lot of education. We talk to them about all of their options and then give them the resources that they need to maybe um, overcome any of those barriers that are keeping them from continuing the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, on our resource side, our clients there are receiving free formula, diapers, clothing, baby materials. Um, so the, that is a huge need in our community, especially after babies are born. We support them on the patient size and, and then continue, continue to support them on the client side through our resource closet. But we also meet their emotional needs um, and educational needs through a counseling program that's available completely free for any patient or client, especially those who are post-abortive. Yeah. Um, and then we have an in-school education program where we teach seventh and eighth graders about the benefits of delaying sexual activity and the risks and consequences of early sexual activity in hopes that they'll make wonderful choices for their life. Um, and maybe we won't have to see them go through any sort of crisis later. Mm, sounds like you're really filling all of the gaps. And I'm curious, Sarah, your state's pro-life law, it's unfortunately now in limbo, I'm sure you know. If the heartbeat law is reenacted, how do you hope your center will grow with that, you know, stronger protection for unborn children in your state? Well, as you have seen in the last few days, every day brings a new and different victory or challenge that we meet. And right. so we are actively preparing for any direction that our state legislation may go. As I said before, we're a border state. And so we have to think about the Iowa legislation as well as the Illinois legislation, because we see girls from both sides of the river there. Right. And so we, um, in Illinois, obviously abortion is legal up until birth. And so uh, we are very aware of that and providing the services that we do. So our main thought with this heartbeat bill We've already been preparing for it, um, knowing that this may come. We've been praying for it to come, and we have an amazing governor pushing for it to happen. And so the main thing we have been concentrating on is that we expect to see a large increase in online medication abortions, mm. um, where girls are going online to receive their medication as opposed to going to a clinic in their state. And so we are preparing for the education piece for our girls 
who may not know what that looks like, may not know what medical follow-up there is or is not. Usually there is not a lot of medical follow-up and how dangerous that can be to be ordering medication online. So we're changing some of our education pieces, but we've also added a service called the post-abortion assessment. And the reason for that is when a woman chooses abortion, we want to make sure she still feels loved and supported. Even though we grieve the loss of that baby, there's still a life here on earth in that mother. And she's going to be going through a lot of things that she may or may not have expected. And so we've added a service called the post-abortion assessment, where we bring her in, give her some medical services, as well as some emotional um, assessment and services, as well as referrals if needed, so that she's getting that follow-up care that is usually lacking Mm -hmm. when she goes through an online um, medication abortion at home. Mm, that's very innovative. Thank you for sharing about that. And thank you for joining us so much. Sarah Jansen, Women's Center of Iowa. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget, you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Threads. We're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for my newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.